Thank you very much indeed. I'm glad to be able to bring God's word to you this evening. I want to read a very well-known part of the New Testament in the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians <clears throat> and chapter 6. Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles or schemes, stratagems of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, with all taking up the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and supplication, praying at all seasons in the Spirit, and watching thereunto, in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and on my behalf, that utterance may be given unto me in opening my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Just a word of prayer. Beloved Lord, we want to thank you once again that we're here in your presence. And Lord, we're so thankful to remind ourselves that when we are in your presence, anything could happen. Lord, there is nothing impossible with you. Neither Obama, nor his administration, nor all the evil that we heard about this morning, nothing can withstand your power and your grace. You have the answer to everything, Lord. And our prayer now is this evening, that in some very real way you will touch our hearts. 
We need that anointing of your Holy Spirit. And we recognize that without that anointing, we can speak a whole lot of words and it will mean nothing. And we can hear a whole lot of things academically, mentally accepted, without any effect whatsoever on our lives. Lord, we need that anointing. And by faith, we stand into it that we may experience a double portion of that anointing which you have so dearly won for us on Calvary. And for the Holy Spirit, who himself makes it a living, experiential reality. Thank you, dear Lord. We shall be careful to give you all the thanksgiving of our hearts for answering this, our prayer. We ask it in the name of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I will begin where I began last night. We are moving into days of greater and greater turmoil and darkness and divine judgment. We should not be surprised at it. After all, we are witnessing the paganization of our countries whether it is the United States or whether it is the United Kingdom or whether it is the different countries of Europe which have all been at one time or another the scene of great works of the Holy Spirit. Now we see a turning of the back upon every biblical principle and every biblical truth. Now, I don't hold any brief for Roman Catholicism, although I must say that it is the Pope who has stood up for truth, and I don't see many Christian leaders, moderators of the Presbyterians, moderators of the Methodists, the Archbishop of Canterbury for the Episcopalians, I don't hear a peep coming out of them. At least we might be anti-Romish, but we have to say that Pope Benedict has spoken up. It was Pope John Paul II who pleaded with the European Commission that in its preamble to the history of European civilization to at least recognize the Bible and the gospel as the source of that civilization. The European Commission, based in Brussels, refused outright to even consider what the Pope asked. They said the source of European civilization, and of course that includes American and Canadian, um, is, 
Hellenism. Pagan Hellenism. Pope Benedict XVI followed this up when he became the Pope by appealing again to the European Commission and asking them, surely you should say that it least was a source, the Bible and the gospel of European civilization. And they have again rejected it. I find it very interesting that before that European commission, there is a ghastly modern idea supposed to be a bull It's supposed to be uh, Zeus, who, you know the legend, who turned himself into a bull to deceive Europa. And he asked her, since she was tired, climb on my back and I will carry you. She climbed on his back. He turned into himself and raped her. Can you believe that that is in front of the European Commission? Can you believe that the European Parliament is built on an oil painting by Bruegel from the 16th century, a Dutch painter, of what he thought uh, um, the, the Tower of Babel looked like. <laughs> the architect of the European Parliament copied Bruegel's painting. So we have the European Parliament in what looks like the Tower of Babel. That says everything. One of my friends tells me, but I have been unable myself to verify it, that inside that parliament are the words, we will finish what Nimrod began. This is the pagan world that we are now advancing into. And with it will come all the savagery and all the evil that the gospel and the truth of God's word banished from the nations of Europe and from this continent. It is time for us to wake up. By and large, we are asleep. I don't know how better to put it. <laughs> Can you believe 
that what you heard from David this morning is actual fact and not a fairy tale? How come that not one single leader of a denomination has stood up to say something? How is it that there is such a silence over the whole scene? After all, what we heard this morning is not just a few little ideas that are rather wrong. These things go to the root of the society that we have been used to, the freedom that we have been used to. I would have thought that every child of God would have stood up on this thing Or are we being carried along by the current, rudderless, pilotless, carried along into some huge cataclysm? You might think that what I'm saying is rather stupid, but you will live to see that it is not stupidity. This is what happened in Russia when Lenin and Marx finally came to the head of that country. This is what happened with Mussolini in Italy when finally fascism won the day use democracy to destroy democracy. It is what Franco did in Spain, using democracy to destroy democracy. It was what Adolf Hitler did in Germany when he destroyed democracy by using it. Do you really believe that in Western civilization, we are actually facing such a possibility. If you look very carefully at the Word of God, you will discover that in that incredible vision that Daniel had of those beasts coming into being you will notice that they came out of a sea that was driven by hurricane force, what in Asia we call a typhoon. Out of that disturbed sea, you know the sea is always a picture in the Bible of the nations, out of the turmoil of that sea came these beasts. When you turn to the book of Revelation, you discover exactly the same thing. You find that this diverse beast that unites in itself all the features of the previous three 
is rising out of a storm-tossed sea. Now, I would have thought that would be enough to say, to energize us to pray. I've read to you a very well-known passage in the Ephesian letter. I've read it to you because the Apostle Paul said these words by the Spirit of God to a church that was one of the most remarkable churches in the New Testament period, Ephesus. So spiritually aware was that church that God was able to speak to them about the depths of his purpose, of the goal. He spoke to the church in Ephesus in a way that he spoke to no other church because there was a spiritual depth in that church. And here we have the apostle having, as it were, (laughs) spilt the beans in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5, he finally says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not in your own strength, Not in the strength of your flesh, not in the strength of your mind or philosophy, but be strong in the Lord. But so few of us are strong in the Lord. Why do you think we have all these cat fights in churches? Why do you think we have all this thing that goes on where we're throttling one another if we could? Because we're not strong in the Lord. We're strong in ourselves. In our opinions. In our will. In our reasoning. But the apostle said, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. Jesus, before he went to Calvary. Just before, he said, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. And then he went on to say, Abide in me, and I in you. As if that was the crux of the matter. If you abide where God has placed you through the salvation of our Lord Jesus, if you abide in Christ, Christ will abide in you. That's the secret of the Christian life. That's the secret of power. That's the the secret of experiencing the Lord every day. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Not little pieces that satisfy you. But the whole armor of God. Put it on. That ye may stand against what? 
the schemes and stratagems of the devil, do you really believe that Satan is going to allow you and me to grow in the Lord? Do you think he's ever going to allow us to come to adulthood in the Lord? No. Satan is interested in keeping Christians little babies. They have to have all the things that belong to babyhood. Toys, dummies, I don't know what you say in American English, but all these marvelous things that we stuff into the mouth of our children, of our babies, to keep them quiet, make them happy. Pacifiers, that's right. That's the kind of thing you would think most Christians want. They don't want to grow. They don't want to grow up into adulthood. They don't want to become soldiers, good soldiers of the Lord Jesus. They want to be carried, nursed, mollycoddled, cooed over. They want to be the sort of center of the whole world that is theirs. The center of attraction and the center of the living. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may stand against the stratagems of the devil. Now listen. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This whole problem that is what I call the predicament of the United States is not to do with flesh and blood. Yes, there is... President Obama. There are a whole number of other people that we have their pretty faces in the, past, in the thing that's been given to us by David. They're all flesh and blood. But the real problem, the real predicament of the United States is principalities and powers and world rulers of this darkness, and spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. In other words, the only way you and I can face this situation is not with flesh to encounter flesh, but with the Lord to come against the principalities and powers. Now, I have to be very careful here. I'm not suggesting that you, dear ones, should take on principalities and powers and world rulers of darkness. Be careful. I've seen in my life many casualties from people who've tried to hurl abuse at Satan speak in a disparaging way 
of principalities and powers. This isn't a fairy tale. These principalities and powers, these world rulers of this present darkness are real beings. They are the hierarchy of Satan. Princes, authorities, world rulers of this darkness. If we don't deal with them, we shall slide into a total mess. And the only way that we can deal with them is to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, many of the prayer meetings I go to are anything but a wrestling match. They are more like Wimbledon tennis. The ball goes backwards and forwards, and the heads go backwards and forwards. As they watch it go back, and someone calls out the thing, and very, very polite very, very upper class. Wrestling is a sweaty, vulgar sport. Two men with hardly anything on (laughs) hurl each other backwards and forwards across a small space. You might even have one of them flown clean out of the ring, as I had a friend. She married him, actually. He landed on her lap, of all things. He was Polish. And by the most extraordinary... She was. They felt it was a divine (laughs) meeting. We wrestle not against flesh, but this means that there are times when Satan can sit on us, when these principalities and powers can get the better of us, when they can twist our arm up our back, or nearly take our leg off, it doesn't mean we will not win the match. That's why I think you and I have to recognize something. And that is this. I will put it this way. All history is the expression of spiritual invisible forces. You thought it was to do with human beings. But in actual fact, the whole of history is the expression of spiritual forces 
principalities you cannot see with these eyes. Authorities you cannot see with these eyes. World rulers of darkness that hold whole segments of humanity in thraldom, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. I could go on and on. These are world rulers of darkness. Who do you think came to a, to who do you think came <clears throat> to Muhammad? The man was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. Yet he produced in classical Arabic the Quran which is so beautiful that even Christians sometimes listen to it being read. Who was Gabriel? He wasn't Gabriel. Who impersonated him? A world ruler of darkness. Dear folks, what I'm saying this evening goes to the heart of this whole matter. You will never defeat these people with philosophy against philosophy, with your mind against their mind, your way of life against their way of life. The only way we can deal with this is to deal with the principalities and powers, the world rulers of darkness, the forces of spiritual wickedness in high places. This means that if you and I don't know how to put the armor on, we're lost. But let me say straight away, (coughs) the church is filled with spiritual babies. Have you ever seen a baby in armor? (laughs) It is impossible. So the only thing we can do is fall back on our kind of prayer meetings, which are all over the place, which tend to be unbelievably boring, so that we fully understand why most people in any church don't go to the prayer meeting. But when a prayer meeting is what it should be, it becomes so exciting, so thrilling, so powerful. I remember at Halford that young people saved, instead of going to the Bible study, went to the prayer meeting. Because they said, there we see the thing in action. And they would rush back home to turn on the television to see if the answer would come. When we were praying about national things or those type of things. (laughs) There's something very exciting and thrilling about putting on the whole armor of God. And then listen. Stand, withstand, Having done all, stand. 
This is the strangest way to win a battle. Most battles, you have to go forward. But this battle, you stand, withstand, and stand. What does it mean? It means you stand in the Lord. And you don't move out from the Lord. You don't let the enemy play little games with you. And try to get you to leave your safety and come out into the open where he can make a casualty of you. You have to learn to stand in the Lord. To stand within the revealed will of the Lord. To stand upon the purpose of God. The problem is, again, having said we have so many babies, here's the second problem. So few of us have any spiritual maturity. I don't want to be unkind this evening, but there's so little spiritual maturity. Some of us are 30 years old in the Lord, 20 years old, and some of us 50 years old in the Lord, and we're totally immature. We still don't know what the eternal purpose of God is. (laughs) We still don't know what the church is. We think it's something with a spire. Something you forget your handbag in or your purse or leave your umbrella or Bible. We haven't grown up. Now we're found out. Now this crisis in Europe and in the North America is finding out where we stand. We're babes. We're immature. Where we should have been able to put on the whole armor of God and stand, withstand, and stand for his purpose to be fulfilled. What grace the Lord has given to us. That all we have to do is to stand, withstand, and stand. It seems ridiculous. Only the Lord could have thought out something as simple as that. (laughs) I mean, we all think, oh, we have to do something. We've got to holler. We've got to shout and scream. We've got to do a war dance. (laughs) Then maybe the enemy will be frightened. You know, some people, you know how they used to bang trash can lids to frighten away rabid dogs, at least in my part of the world. Many Christians seem to think that's all they've got to do. Make a hullabaloo and the enemy will go out the window like that. Not at all. He loves it. The bigger the hullabaloo you make, the more that the enemy loves it. He says, you see, they're not getting on with the job. They're not standing with standing and standing. They think they can frighten me by yelling and screaming, shouting. We've been found out. When we need to have been men and women of God who know how to put on the whole armor of God and to stand within the word of God and the revealed will of God, 
until we get the victory, we are nothing. Now, I don't want to depress you, but it's the first step to victory. Until you wake up to the fact that we're the poorest lot the Lord has got. And that nothing we can do can do anything. But then if we wake up to the fact that in Christ we are absolute victors. We are overcomers in Christ. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. You in American English have a thing in the sea that you called a buoy. 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 I can never say it. I think it's so dreadful. We in English, English, where you got your language from, um, we, we in English, English, call it a boy. Those boys in the sea, they can, the storm can come and push them down, but they always come up. No matter how much they go down, they just come up further. That's an overcomer. When the Lord is in you, the enemy may push you down and do all kinds of things to frighten you. But the fact of the matter is if you're in him, you will come up on top. That's the only way to face this situation. I'm not saying that you should um, uh, um, uh, name these principalities and powers, these world rules of darkness. What I am saying is this, that those principalities and powers and world rules of darkness or spiritual forces of wickedness cannot win. They cannot win. The truth of God will always win. And if the truth of God is in us and we are in the truth, we can only win. Our dear brother and sister, Think for a moment. We have here a whole description of all the parts of the armor. I knew a man who used to stand in front of a dressing glass in his bedroom every day and put on the helmet of salvation and then he put on the breastplate and then he girt his loins with truth. Poor man, he was neurotic. I mean, it was just tragic. I mean, he, 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 he used to say, Oh, I've forgotten something. <laughs> you don't have to go into all of that. It's there for your help. But the fact of the matter is, when you remain where God has placed you in Christ, that's your armor. The Lord Jesus is your armor. That's what it says in Romans. 
put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your armor. You can do nothing else but win. I mean, I think the Lord is so amazing in this whole thing. He's not for babyhood when you're 30 years old in the Lord. He's for babyhood when you're babies. God loves babies. All you, when we've got saved, he nurses us, mollycoddles us, puts things in our mouths. These spiritual pacifiers gives us little toys to play with. Don't you remember it when you were first saved? That balmy feeling you had day after day when you walked on air. Wasn't it wonderful? And then the Lord said, now it's time for you to grow up. And suddenly we had those dreadful experiences where the Lord, no balmy air, no walking on air. Now we were falling flat on our face. <laughs> it's all part of growing up. Well, think. If we were to learn how to face this situation, in Christ, we would not only be safe, we would win. Why should these forces of darkness believe that they're going to win the day? Now, I don't know whether, in fact, this was all part of the coming of the Antichrist. But what I do know is this, that if you are in the Lord and the Lord is in you, nothing in hell or on earth or in heaven can destroy you. Amen. You are absolutely safe. No wonder the Lord Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. So simple. The word abide in Greek can be also remain in me or dwell in me. Don't stray away from where you've been positioned. God has positioned you in his son. And he has placed by the Holy Spirit his son in you. You couldn't be safer. Well, now, let me just go on a little more and depress you even further. <laughs> the apostle then goes on to say, and take the word of the Spirit, which is the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer. In other words, you and I will never get anywhere by hurling abuse at Satan. Or, or these principalities or powers. It's only when we have the word of the Lord in our hand. That's why you need to get to know your Bible, you younger ones. Become walking Bibles. Memorize scripture. So that when you don't have a Bible, the Holy Spirit can bring straight into your heart 
a word that will be the weapon of your warfare. Memorize the word of God. Learn. Study the word of God. It's alive. Did you know that? It's absolutely alive. Shakespeare's dead. Dear Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. (laughs) I think he's genius. Who else could have written The Taming of the Shrew? (laughs) Absolute genius. But I've never known a word of Shakespeare change a human life. I've never known a word of Shakespeare leap out of the book, out of one of his plays, and deliver an alcoholic from alcoholism, or a drug addict from drug addiction, or heal a broken marriage, or heal a hopelessly broken life. But the word of the Lord is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit. This is incredible. It means that these, these, these words here can leap out into you. And it does something in you. It unites you to the Lord. Have you not had that experience? It's the word of God. Take the sword of the spirit. (laughs) Many people seem to think that they've got to use swords of their own making. But the sword of the spirit is the word of God. With this sword of the Spirit, you can slay every single enemy that comes against you. Only the Holy Spirit has to give you the word. (laughs) Now that leads me to say one other thing here. Praying at all seasons in the Spirit. There is an idea, and I don't want to upset a number of you. But there is an idea that this means you speaking in tongue. Well, I've met a number of people who, every time they open their mouth, speak in a tongue. And I've never seen the enemy flee from them. They seem to me to be somewhat deceived. Now, I believe in tongues. But to pray with the Spirit is different to praying In the Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, it means you are under the sovereignty and government of the Holy Spirit. That means all real prayer is born of the Spirit. It is in the dimension of the Holy Spirit. It is under his sovereignty, under his authority, under his government, And in his power. That's praying in the season. (laughs) Praying in the spirit at all seasons.
There are so many things one could add to this. I myself had quite a lot of experience of prayer in the Baptist church in which I was saved. Yes, I think it was something to be saved in the Baptist church, actually. What I see today of Baptist churches. But... Uh, I used to go to a prayer meeting for Nepal. I was the only youngster amongst them. They were all white-haired like me. But I was just 15, 14 years of age, 15. Those old ones were so sweet. They loved me coming. But all the young people thought I was nuts. They said, what are you doing with all those old fogies? And I said, we're praying for Nepal. <laughs> and they said, praying for Nepal? Where is Nepal? <laughs> well, I explained to them, I was always good at geography, so I explained to them where Nepal was. On the Him the Him in the Himalayas. And um, they said, well, what are you praying for? And I said, we're all praying for Nepal, which is closed to the gospel, to open to the gospel. And I remember, uh, they said, it will never open. You're hitting your head on a stone wall. But I shall never forget the day when the cable came from those two extraordinary women who had spent years in Darjeeling praying for Nepal that it would open. I shall never forget when we got the cable. Of course, in those days we didn't have email. Cable came. Tomorrow we have permission to go into the kingdom of Nepal. Out of that going into Nepal came the Nepal Christian Fellowship, the Nepal Evangelistic Band, and a whole number of other things. I was so thrilled that I, at my age, had been part of a group that <laughs> prayed a closed kingdom open to the Lord. I was so excited. Now, of course, we had other very funny things that I remember when I was a boy. And I used to go always to the prayer meeting. Although I was only a kid. <laughs> I remember so well when Mr. Redpath said, we've had a phone call from Brother Robert. His leg is very bad. And I have never forgotten this most starchy of all spinsters in the church, who stood up and said, Lord, I've had Brother Robert's leg on my heart the whole <laughs> night. <laughs> of course, we young here, yeah, I just chortled for, till I got told off by Mr. Redpath for laughing so much. 
But that was my experience of prayer until I got to Egypt. There I was very, very ill. And in the hospital, the Royal Air Force Hospital in Fanara, the specialist said, we'll let you out, but you have to take three weeks off. We will give you all that for convalescence. So I went back to Ismailia in Egypt, and I told the missionaries there that I was supposed to go somewhere in Egypt for convalescence. And Susan Hamill, who always said she was a very unspiritual woman, but I always thought she was perhaps the most spiritual of all of them. She said, I know the exact place you could go. Give me a few minutes, I'll phone them. She came back in a quarter of an hour and said, I've arranged it. But she said, Lance, these are two of the most godly, pious missionaries in the whole of Egypt. If you go there, there's going to be an explosion. Because you're so young and so arrogant, you're bound to upset them. So I went in fear and trembling, only to find that these two women were the most remarkable women I'd ever met. They were to introduce me into a dimension of prayer I had never known. I, it became very apparent to me, of course, I was supposed to be convalescing. They did everything to make me happy and so on. But I, there would be a letter from, and Auntie Kathleen would tear it open and read it to Auntie Alex and say, oh, look at this from Baghdad. Or there was a, a cable from Khartoum in Sudan. Or an, there was another letter from somewhere else. And then they would say to each other, we have to pray. And off they went down this long hallway into a lounge and shut the door and told me to go and lie on my bed. <laughs> so I lay on my bed, wondering, what in the world happens in that lounge? Because as soon as they came back, there would be a phone call from Baghdad, and I heard Auntie, Alex, uh, Auntie Kathleen saying, Hallelujah, we got the victory at midday today. After a while, I began to think these two old ladies, who were supposed to be retired missionaries, were actually running a spiritual security or intelligence service <laughs> for the whole Middle East. It was incredible to me. I couldn't believe it. Then came the marvelous day when this letter from Damanur in Upper Egypt came. A whole church was split into two, hurling abuse at each other. And the whole of the town knew it. So, Auntie Alex said to me, would you like to join us for prayer? Well, I've tried to be as English as I possibly could. And I said, oh, that would be very nice. But actually, I was dying to get into that lounge and see what happened. Well, we got into the lounge. There was Auntie Alex. There was Auntie Kathleen. 
I, I've, ne I've never seen anything like it. Then they said to me, do you understand what we're praying about? No, I said. So they read the letter to me. They translated it from Arabic into English. Now do you understand? I said, I think I do. Then they got on their knees and pointed to the floor for me to get on my knees. So I got on my knees. Then Auntie Alex said, have either of you two got a word from the Lord? I was dumb, dumbfounded. A word from the Lord? <laughs> and, then, and then I was only 18. I may have been only, yes, 18. And then, and then Auntie Kathleen said, yes, a verse in Obadiah. And I thought, oh my God, I don't even know where Obadiah is. <laughs> How can a verse in Obadiah have anything to do with this situation in Damanur? Then they got to prayer, and here's an interesting thing. Then not either of them prayed for more than a few minutes. One would pray, the other would pray, back to, they, like a tennis match, backward, forward, backward, forward, backward, forward. And then one of them would say, do you think we're through? And the other one would say, not yet. And back they would go. Same scripture, standing on it. And then one of them would start praising the Lord, then the other one would start praising the Lord. I felt ill. <laughs> I thought, I thought, I, this is incredible. I was used to prayers that were so long we fell asleep. You know, the kind of normal thing. I couldn't believe it. That evening, the phone rang. It was uh, one of the elders in the church in Tamanoa. He said, we've had an amazing meeting of reconciliation. Tears, weeping, hugging. Then I thought, how can these two old ladies do it? What kind of magic is this? <laughs> I remember saying to dear Auntie Alex one day in my arrogant, bombastic way, how many years have you been in Egypt? Fifty years, she said. How many people have you led to the Lord, I said. And she held up her hand. Five. And I said, is it worth it? And she said, there will come a day when thousands upon thousands of Muslims will turn to the Lord. We've reached that day. Now we can't keep abreast with the number of Muslims that are coming to the Lord. It is incredible. Visions, dreams, voices from heaven the most incredible things happening 
Well, I tell you this kind of story only for you to understand. You don't need 50 people, 100 people. You sometimes need only two who are bound together in the Lord and who understand something about spiritual warfare. How can we face this situation? that is upon us. I think only if the Holy Spirit burdens us in such a way that we become living sacrifices for Him. I wish I could put it more clearly. But this comfortable kind of Christianity we have in the West has got to go. Oh, you say, I don't agree with you. I think the kind of Christianity we have here is very nice, thank you. We don't have to have someone from Jerusalem telling us. You Jews are all the same. <laughs> Have to tell us what to do all the time and how to do it. But you see, the, the fact of the matter is quite simple. We have such a comfortable Christianity that to spend an hour on our knees in prayer is beyond us. You younger people, you can start. How do you think Halford House began? Eight of us. None of us. Two, two were older people. The rest of us were in our early 20s. We prayed every night for four months until it happened. And in that period of months that we prayed every single night, the greatest fog that London had ever known, in which in one week 3,000 people died, came upon the city. You could, all trains stopped, all buses stopped, all transport stopped. And the only way we could get to prayer meeting was with a torch walking along the road and the torch on the curb. It was three and a half miles to walk to the place where we were praying. We, the fog never stopped us. Out of that came uh, the fellowship in Halford House. It is amazing what God can do when people are prepared to be a living sacrifice. We were only young people. <laughs> we were kids, really. <laughs> so young. But God is absolutely faithful to his word. And if he gives you his word, he will fulfill it. 
but it will cost you your self-life. That's the problem. We like comfortable Christianity because it mollifies our self-life. Until we're ready to face this problem squarely, we shall never get anywhere. Then the Lord will destroy our comfortable Christianity. He will destroy it until we learn that the only way through is to let go of ourselves. I pray the Lord speak to you tonight. Because in many ways the situation we are facing is the product of principalities and powers, of spiritual forces in high places. Those things can only be cut off in the name of the Lord. Only when we begin to use the weapons of our warfare, which are mighty in the presence of God, that's, you know, it says mighty before God, but it means mighty in the presence of God. You can only operate the weapons of, the, of our warfare in and through the Lord. Then if, we're, if we have the armor on, we will not be casualties. And we shall see something happen. Well, I don't know what the Lord might do in the States. But the least that the Lord could do, which would be in my mind tremendous, is a colossal awakening from coast to coast, from north to south. America has seen them before. So has Britain. So has Europe. Maybe if we had the word of the Lord in prayer, we shall see the Lord do mighty things. May he bless every one of us and challenge us. Thank you, Lance. We will not take away from that word tonight. I, I had mentioned to him that at some point we would uh, love just to ask Lance questions, um, especially about what's happening in the Middle East, because no one has a greater understanding, I believe, uh, of, of the situation there than he does. But this word just seems to sink, just like the word last night, just sink within our very souls. And, and thank you for it. Thank you. There will be refreshments downstairs. Tomorrow morning's meeting's at 10 o'clock. Tomorrow is Saturday. It's not Sunday. But Sunday is coming. Hallelujah. Amen. Everybody have a good evening.